Chapter Eight, Part Two of the Star of Gettysburg. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. The Star of Gettysburg by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter Eight in the Wilderness, Part Two. Harry now heard much of this name, Chancellorsville destined to become so famous, and he said it over and over again to himself. And yet it was not a town, nor even a village. Here stood a large house, with the usual pillared porticos, built long since by the Chancellor family, and inhabited by them in their generation, but now turned into a country inn. Yet it had importance. Roads ran from it in various directions, and in territories very unlike, including the strange and weird region known as the wilderness. Hooker had come through the wilderness with his main force, and was now forming a line of battle in front of it in the open country, when for some reason never fully known, he fell back on Chancellorsville, and began to concentrate his army in the edge of the wilderness. Harry, riding with Dalton and some others to inspect the enemy's front through their glasses, saw this gloomy forest, destined to such a terrible fame not alone from the coming battle, but from others as great. Nature could have chosen no more fitting spot for the mighty sacrifice to save the Union, because here everything is dark, solemn, and desolate. For twenty miles one way, and fifteen the other, the wilderness stretched its somber expanse. The ancient forest had been cut away long since, and the thin light soil had produced a sea of scrub and thickets in its place in which most of the houses were the huts of charcoal burners. The undergrowth and jungle were often impenetrable, save by some lone hunter or wild animal. The gnarled and knotted oaks were distorted, and the bushes, even in the flush of a May morning, were black and ugly. At evening it was indescribably desolate, and save when the armies came there, was no sound but the lone cry of the whippoorwill, one of the saddest of all notes. It was upon this forest that Harry looked, and he wondered, as many officers much older and much higher in rank than he wondered, that Hooker, with forces so much superior, should draw back into its shades. And many of the Union generals, too, had protested in vain against Hooker's orders. They knew, as the Confederate generals knew, that Hooker was a brave man, and they never understood it then or afterwards. It gives us our chance, said Dalton, with sudden intuition to Harry. We'll carry the battle to them in the forest, and there numbers will not count for much. Look, exclaimed Harry, they're withdrawing farther into the wilderness. There go the last bayonets. It's so, said Dalton. I can still see a few of them moving among the trees and thickets. Now they're gone. What does it mean? It means that old Jack will follow into the wilderness, as sure as you and I are here. He isn't the man to let an enemy retreat in peace. That's so. There are the bugles calling, and it's time for us to rejoin old Jack. Jackson was not more than a hundred yards away, and they were soon just behind him, riding slowly forward, while he swept the forest with his glasses. Riflemen sent far in advance began to fire, and from the forest came replies. Harry saw bits of earth and grass kicked up by the bullets, and now and then a man fell, or, wounded, limped to the rear. 
There was no fog here, and the day had become beautiful and brilliant, as became the first morning in May. The little white puffs of smoke arose all along the edges of the wilderness, and, sailing above the trees and bushes, dissolved into the blue sky. It was yet only a skirmish between the southern vanguard and the northern vanguard, but the riflemen increased to hundreds, and they made a steady volume of sound. Now and then the lighter guns were fired, and the like replied from the thickets. Harry gazed intently at Jackson. Would he, with his relatively small force, follow Hooker into the wilderness, despising the dangers of ambush and the possibility that his foe might turn upon him in overwhelming numbers? Lee was with the troops elsewhere, and Jackson, for the present, must rely on his own judgment. But Jackson never hesitated. While the fire of the riflemen deepened, he plunged into the wilderness in pursuit of Hooker, who, for some inscrutable reason, was concentrating his masses about the Chancellor House for pitched battle. They advanced by two ways, a pike and a plank road, with Jackson himself on the plank road. Harry felt a strange prickling at the roots of his hair, as the wilderness closed in on pursuer and pursued, but it was only for a moment. The enemy far down the plank road held his attention. Many riflemen were there, and they were sending back bullets, most of which fell short. Now and then a curving shell struck among the bushes, burst, and hurt no one. It had grown darker when they entered the wilderness. The scrub forest, not lofty enough for dignity and nobility, was nevertheless dense enough to shut out most of the sunlight. Despite the blazing of the fire, both pursuer and pursued were enveloped in heavy shadows. Harry had nothing to do but to keep near his general, in case he was wanted, but he watched everything with the utmost interest. Once he looked back and saw the Invincibles, few in number, but still preserving their regiment, marching in brave style along the plank road. Colonel Talbot and Lieutenant Colonel St. Hilaire were riding side by side at its head, and in all the army there were not two more erect and soldierly figures than theirs. They soon heard heavy artillery discharges from the other force on the pike, and the fire in front of them increased heavily. Nevertheless, both forces pushed resolutely onward. Harry had no idea what it all meant. The movements of Hooker were a mystery to him, but he felt the presence of an enveloping danger, through which, however, he felt sure that the sword of Jackson could slash. He saw that the generals were neglecting no precautions. The scouts and hardy riflemen were now pressing through all the forests and thickets, like Indians trailing in the wilderness. They kept the two forces, the one on the plank road and the other on the pike, in touch. McLaws, who had shown so much spirit and judgment at Antietam, led on the pike. Now the fighting increased on both roads. Batteries faced batteries and cavalry charged. But Harry felt all the time that these were not supreme efforts. The opposing force seemed to be merely a curtain before Hooker, and as the southern army advanced, the curtain was drawn steadily back, but it was always there. One of the encounters rose almost to the dignity of a battle. A heavy division of northern regulars drove in all the southern skirmishers, but Jackson, sending forward a strong force, pushed back the regulars in their turn. Harry watched the fighting most of the time, but at other times, he watched his general's face. It was the usual impenetrable mask, but late in the afternoon, Harry saw a sudden sparkle in the blue eye. 
he always believed that at that moment the general divined the enemy's intentions but the boy never had any way of knowing scouts came in presently and reported that another heavy column was marching from the rappahannock to join hooker in the wilderness and now the advance of the southern force became slower it was obvious to harry that jackson while resolute to follow hooker intended to guard against all possibility of ambush harry knew nothing then of the chancellor house but dalton told him it's a big place he said standing on a heavy ridge surrounded by thick timber and it's a natural presumption that hooker will stop there from the timbered ridge his cannon can sweep every approach harry had no doubt that hooker would halt at the chancellor house it was incredible that a great army of brave and veteran troops should continue to retreat before a force which his scouts had surely informed hooker was far smaller and only a portion of the confederate army it must be merely a part of some comprehensive plan and he was confirmed in his belief by the increasing stubbornness of the defense there was not sufficient room on either the plank road or the pike for all the confederate infantry and masses were toiling through the dense thickets of bushes and briars and creeping vines the afternoon was growing late and while it was yet brilliant sunshine in the open it was dark and somber in the wilderness the division of jackson seemed almost lost in the forest and undergrowth the cavalry riding along some of the narrow paths were checked by large forces in front and fell back under the protection of their own infantry on another path a strong body of southern skirmishers drove back those of the north but were checked in their turn by a heavy fire of artillery harry witnessed the repulse of the southern riflemen and saw them crowding back down the path and through the bushes which lined it on either side he also saw the usually calm and imperturbable face of jackson show annoyance the general signed to his staff and galloping forward a hundred yards or so joined stuart who was just in front stuart also showed annoyance but more emotional than jackson he expressed it in a much greater degree his face was red with anger harry who as usual kept close behind his commander heard their talk general stuart said general jackson we must find some position from which we can open a flanking fire upon that northern battery ay sir said stuart nothing would delight me more the narrowness of the road and their place at the head of it give them an immense advantage ah sir here is a bridle path leading to the right maybe it will give us a chance the two generals followed by their staffs and battery turned from the main body into the narrow path and pushed their way between the masses of thick undergrowth bearing steadily to the right but the road was so narrow that not more than two could go abreast the generals in their eagerness still leading the way harry rising up in his stirrups tried to see over the dense undergrowth but patches of saplings and scrub oaks farther on hid the view nevertheless he caught the flash of heavy guns and saw many columns of smoke rising it was toward their left now and they would soon be parallel with it whence their own guns would open a flanking fire if any open spot or elevation could be found they had gone about half a mile when stuart uttered an exclamation and pointed to a hillock it was not necessary to say anything because every one knew that this was the place for the guns now we'll drop a few shells of our own among those yankee gunners and see how they like it said dalton 
the cannon were unlimbering rapidly but the open space on the hillock was so small that only one gun could be brought up and it sent a shot toward the union lines the union artillery superb as always marked the spot whence the shot came and in an instant two batteries massed by the woods poured a terrible fire upon the hillock and those about it so deadly was the steel rain that the little force was put out of action at once harry had never beheld a more terrifying scene most of the horses and men around the first cannon were killed one horse and one gunner fell dead across its wheels other horses wounded and screaming with pain and fright rushed into the dense undergrowth and were caught by the trailing vines and thrown down some of the cavalrymen themselves were knocked out of the saddle by the fleeing horses but they quickly regained their seats a second discharge from many guns sent another rain equally as deadly upon the hillock and its vicinity more men and horses fell and a scene of wild confusion followed attempting to turn about and escape from that spot of death the cannon crashed together there was not room for all the men and horses and guns most of them were compelled to plunge into the undergrowth and struggle desperately through it for shelter but harry did not forget the two generals who were worth so much to the south it would be fate's bitterest irony if jackson and stuart were killed in a small flanking movement when as was obvious to everyone a battle of the first magnitude was just before them and yet while fragments of steel hot and hissing fell all around them jackson and stuart and all the members of their staffs escaped without hurt the deadly fire followed them as they retreated but the two generals rode on unharmed harry and dalton breathed deep sighs of relief when they were out of range if a bullet had gone through my left side said dalton it wouldn't have come near my heart why not because my heart was in my mouth in fact i don't think it has gone back yet to its natural place the yankees certainly have the guns and the gunners who know how to use them but doesn't it feel good george to be back on the plank road it does i'll take my chance in open battle but when i'm tangled up among bushes and vines and briars i do hate to have a hundred pound shell fired from an invisible gun burst suddenly on the top of my head what's all that firing off there to the left and farther on it means that some of our people have got deeper into the wilderness than we have and are feeling out hooker i imagine we won't go much further look how the night's dropping down i'd hate to pass a night alone in such a place as this wilderness it would be like sleeping in a graveyard you won't have to spend the night alone here i wish i was as sure of heaven as that you'll have something like two hundred thousand near neighbors the sun set and darkness swept over the wilderness but it was still lighted at many points by the flash of the firing and after that ceased by the campfires jackson's advance was at an end for the time he was fully in touch with his enemy and understood him hooker had retreated as far as he would go when the fog cleared away in the morning the men in the captive balloons had informed him that heavy southern columns were marching towards chancellorsville he was sure now that the full strength of the southern army was before him and he continued to fortify the chancellor house and the plateau of hazel grove he also threw up log breastworks through the heavily wooded country and his lines bristling with artillery and defended now by six score thousand men extended along a front of six miles 
Jackson's division lay in the wilderness before Hooker, but out of cannon shot. All along that vast front, hundreds and hundreds of pickets and riflemen on either side were keeping a vigilant watch. Jackson and his staff had dismounted and were eating their suppers around one of the campfires. The general was again impassive. After the supper, Harry walked a little distance and found the Invincibles, resting comfortably on the trodden undergrowth. The two colonels had preserved the neatness of their attire, and whatever they felt, neither showed any anxiety. But St. Clair and Langdon were free of speech. Well, Harry, said Happy Tom, is old Jack going to send us up against entrenchments and four to one? He hasn't confided in me, but I don't think he means to do any such thing. He remembers, as even a thick head like you, Happy, would remember, how the splendid army of Burnside beat itself to pieces against our works at Fredericksburg. Well then, why are we here? There's sense in your question, Tom, but I can't answer it. No, there isn't any sense in it, interrupted St. Clair. Do you suppose for an instant that Lee and Jackson would bring us here if they didn't have a mighty good reason for it? That's so, admitted Happy Tom, but General Lee isn't here. Yes, he is. Listen to the cheering. They sprang to their feet and saw Lee coming through the woods on his white horse, Traveler, a roar of cheers greeting him as he advanced. Behind him came new brigades, and Harry believed that the whole southern army was now united before Hooker. Lee dismounted, and Jackson went forward to meet his chief. The staff stood at a respectful distance as the two men met and began to talk, glancing now and then toward the distant lights that showed where the army of Hooker stood. End of chapter 8, part 2